Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to the Project Life Mastery Podcast. I'm Stefan James, founder of projectlifemastery.com internet entrepreneur and life coach with a passion for living life to the fullest and fulfilling my potential as a human being. My purpose for this podcast is to be a powerful and passionate example of the unlimited possibilities that life offers for any of us that has the courage to commit ourselves to life mastery while sharing ideas, concepts, and strategies that can help you master every area of your life from your health, mindset, emotions, business, finances, relationships, and spirituality. Now, if you're someone like me that is hungry to take their life to the next level, then you're in the right place. Welcome and let's begin. Hey everyone, this is Stefan from projectlifemastery.com and today I'm excited to present you guys with a good friend of mine, Darren Jacklin. Uh, Darren is a world-class speaker, corporate trainer, entrepreneur, investor, philanthropist, uh, someone that I've known now for nearly a decade and has made a significant difference in my life. Uh, I've actually interviewed Darren a few years ago uh, back on my YouTube channel, and a lot of people really loved that interview. They said it was very inspirational and life-changing for them. So uh, I want to just thank you, Darren, for deciding to come back and to share your message with uh, my YouTube channel, my podcast. And I'm excited to talk to you a lot about just how to design the next 10 years of your life and pick your brain on a lot of different subjects. Sure. Grateful to be here. Cool. So do you mind sharing with people a little bit, just a bit about yourself, your story? I know you've, uh, you know, your story, just kind of getting into self-development, changing your life has been pretty inspirational. At one point, you're broke, you're living in a treehouse. I know you're suicidal at one point. Mind sharing with people sure. a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. I grew up in a small town in uh, Saskatchewan, Canada, a place called Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Canada. Less than 20,000 people in population. You know, one high school, two junior high schools. Uh, was born into a middle-income family. Uh, failed grade one of public education and then was diagnosed and labeled with a learning disability and a reading disability. So I was put onto a drug called Ritalin as a medication. And right through grade one through grade 12 of public school, I was actually put into special education classes. So I was labeled a slow learner, uh, special needs kid. And so uh, by the time I got into middle uh, elementary school, I realized that you know I was smarter than the school system and uh, that was misdiagnosed in terms of my labeling. And so as I get a little bit older, I started to actually play it as an advantage, kind of like leveraging in business, realizing, okay, I'm taking all these modified programs in this small learner class in school. I'm being told it's one of the dumb kids in class or in the school. So I use it to my advantage. And so all through school, I struggled academically, low self-esteem, very insecure, yeah. learning disability, reading disability. When, by the time I got into uh, grade 11, 
I was, lab- I was taking a class one day by a guidance counselor and a school teacher, and they said, based on your academic marks, you're probably not graduate from grade 12 wow. and get your high school diploma. And so um, they told me that I was a throwaway kid, mm-hmm. and that really affected my self-esteem even worse. But to back up, I actually created my first little business when I was seven years old called mm-hmm. Rent-A-Kid. And I used to go out and cut grass and shovel sidewalks and deliver newspapers in my yeah, neighborhood. Yeah. And when I graduated, I did graduate from school, barely passed with the help of some friends of mine, left Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Canada, went over to the Okanagan Valley, Vernon, British Columbia, Canada, and I realized that I had no purpose. I had no focus. I had no direction. So I did multiple suicide attempts to end my life. And I used to practice driving my car at 140 kilometers an hour, 85 miles per hour towards a telephone pole. And I used to, people, we talk about visualization and affirmations. I used to visualize and premeditate suicide. Because I wanted to do it right. Because I thought yeah. if I screw up and do it wrong, I might right. be disabled or in a wheelchair or have a disability. Yeah. And then people ask you, what happened to you? Why are you in a wheelchair? Why are you disabled? Well, I tried to do suicide. Yeah. And I didn't work. I failed. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so what happened was my last suicide attempt, I ended up uh, driving my car towards a telephone pole, missed the telephone pole on purpose, and then stopped the car, drove into a... Um, uh, outreach place, this place that uh, had a bunch of psychologists and people that did uh, victims assistance work, went in there and turned myself in. And this lady started to counsel me and coach me, then referred me to a Dale Carnegie program. Mm. I didn't know who Dale Carnegie was, never knew anything about personal professional development. You know, I was labeled with a learning disability and a reading disability. So I ended up going to this uh, hotel one day in Vernon, British Columbia, the prestige hotel. And I went walking around the hotel looking for Dale Carnegie. I thought this human being was alive. <laughs> and the lady told me he was upstairs in a room. So I went up there and it was this course. And yeah. I thought it had been set up. Yeah, so yeah. went in this course and ended up enrolling into the program for 12 weeks, transformed my life in many ways. Mm. From there, it's I like got... like a self-development program? Yeah, okay. it was 12 weeks. They've been around the world for many years. Dale yeah, Carnegie, yeah. some of you might remember the book called How to Win Friends yeah, and, and was, Influence People. people yeah. And so Dale Carnegie died and left this legacy. And so I ended up signing up for this program. I couldn't afford it. It was $1,200 at the time. And so I ended up doing a payment plan. And I paid them off over a course. I think it was about a year, year and a half of the payment plan for the program, even though the course is only three months. And what it was, from there I met some people who were very positive people. They said, you should come to this Toastmasters club. Yeah. Well, I didn't know what Toastmasters was. It's one of the largest professional speaking organizations in the world. And so I went there and uh, was very impressed with it. My first speech I ever did with Toastmasters after I became a member, I was so scared to do my icebreaker, a three to five yeah. minute presentation. Yeah. I actually uh, did a whole, um, uh, Calculation in my mind, I thought, okay, what's worst case scenario? What's best case scenario? What's the upside? What's the downside? And I thought, you know what? So I went and pulled the fire alarm in the hotel. Because oh I figured if we could um, you know, get the members to leave the hotel, wow. we'd be delayed, and I wouldn't be able to do my icebreaker speech for Toastmasters. Wow. So I pulled the fire alarm in the hotel because I thought, you know what? The fire department will come. I'll probably get fined, yeah. but I'll pay the consequences. Yeah. Because I was more scared to actually do the speaking than wow. I was to do the, pay the fine. And that started me off. And then from there, um, you know, I, I invested in a company. I made a bunch of money uh, in a bunch of businesses. And I invested in this first startup company. I didn't do any research, no due diligence. I was the co-signer of all the loans and all the lines of credit. And I signed with the bank called the GSA, called the General Security Agreement. And I didn't know what a GSA, a General Security Agreement, was. But it cost me tens of thousands of dollars to learn what it is now. So I got the lesson. That what happened was my partners that were involved in this startup company, they weren't paying the bills. And because I was the co-signer, business back in the early 1990s, so everything was going by snail mail and to landline phones and to answer machines. Well, the collection calls and the, and the demand letters were coming by mail, and I wasn't getting that mail at that address or the collection calls at that landline mm-hmm. phone number. Mm-hmm. 
So after 120 days, the bank called the demand loan, sent the bailiff out to repossess my car, which is collateralized through the general security agreement, and all the loans and lines of credit, any investments and assets I had. So I went from there, um, you know, being lawsuited by the banks, having all this stuff taken uh, away from me, my, my car repossessed, to being homeless on the streets, living on welfare. Now I'm under lawsuit by the banks. Right, so uh, right. in Canada, we only have, what, a half a dozen major banks, and they all know each other. Mm-hmm. They all talk to each other. It's a small club. And so when I would go to open up a bank account, nobody would touch me because I was too high risk right. and insecure. Right. And so I couldn't cash my welfare check at any bank. So I had to go to a money mart and cash my welfare check there because they would cash it with high fees. Yeah. And uh, I was living on the streets homeless. Wow. And it was unbelievable what I learned. I, I was hungry. Yeah. And, and so what I would do is during the daytime, I was sleeping in an apple orchard. And then I would go into uh, the city and I had a library card because they were free. So I'd go hang out in the library, and I would go into the business section because I figured that's where the money is. Yeah, yeah. Who's got my money and where is it? Because as sure. a kid, yeah. with my rented kid business, I always said, okay, if I'm going to cut grass and shovel sidewalks, and I'm going to go to these neighborhoods, who's got my money and where is it? Because they were going to pay me to cut the grass and shovel the sidewalks. Right. So I thought, if I'm in the library, where do I go to get knowledge yeah. to earn money to get my situation turned around? Wow. And that's where I started with the books like Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon yeah, Hill, yeah. Richest Man in Babylon by George Clayson. Said a lot of Ogman Dito, yeah. Jim Rowan. For sure. Right? Yeah. And that was the starting point in my that's life amazing. early on. It's amazing. Yeah. And you know, I want to ask you, because I know one big thing that's made a huge difference in your life has been planning your life, goal mm-hmm. setting. And I think... You know, obviously that is kind of a place where most people start to have that vision. You have to believe that you can have something that you can look forward to and be able to create that. And I'm sure a lot of those books gave you that confidence and that belief. But how, how, how do you, what's your process for planning out your life? Yeah, for sure. Do you mind sharing with people a little bit about that? So what I do is I, I, um, I learned that if I don't have a plan, I get easily distracted Mm -hmm. and I get, and I take, take it off course and it creates more stress. It creates more anxiety in my life. So if I have a plan and I know where I'm going, what I'm doing, then I have direction, Mm -hmm. I have focus and I have a purpose and I'm Mm -hmm. going towards Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. versus a moving target. It's a set specific measurable and actual target. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I actually plan a 10 year plan. I work in 10 year increments of time Mm -hmm. and then reverse engineer back from the 10th year back to year one. Mm-hmm. So first thing is I do, and a great exercise to do is sit down and, and think about your life. If you could just have it all, if you, could, if you could live life on your terms, whatever that means to you, and you could write down 50 items or 50 yeah. things on a sheet of paper, and you write them down, so life experiences, travel goals, relationship goals, financial goals, spiritual goals, career, business, or job, or multiple stream of income goals, could be investment goals, real estate goals, portfolio goals, and just write it all down on paper, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, It could be also who do you want to become over the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. So in terms of habits you want to create, uh, courses you want to take, skills you want to learn, uh, things, awarenesses about yourself, Mm -hmm. uh, what are habits you want to, you know, take away from yourself, bad habits or things that are not supportive to you. And then also over those 50 things is what are some things that you want to stop doing? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I look at things as how can I leverage things and get other people to do things that are, to me, are lower priority activities, mm-hmm. but they might be higher priority activities. I can hire them for minimum wage or above. For sure. Okay? Then what you do is you write down 50 things, 50 items or 50 tasks, mm-hmm. and then what you do is you look at, okay, uh, what are my one year, so then you look at your list of 50, and you say, okay, what can I achieve out of this list of 50 that I can achieve in the next 12 months? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you put a number one beside it. Mm-hmm. What can I achieve in the next three years? Put a three beside it. Mm-hmm. Then a five, then a 10 year, and then some maybe are 10 plus. 
Then I look at it and I add, okay, how many one-year goals do I have? I write it down. Mm-hmm. How many three-year goals, five-year goals, 10-year goals? Mm-hmm. Then when I look at it, I say, look at, okay, out of the 10-year, 10-year plan, what are my top four one-year goals? Mm-hmm. Out of my list of whatever, 10 or yeah. 15 goals, I ever set of the 15. And then what I do is I write down my top four goals. Then I think to myself, and this is the key thing that I learned, is that object, okay? So you have object and you have a purpose. So the object is this house, yeah. okay? So you might say, I want to live in a multi-million dollar penthouse or a beautiful home on the beach, okay? So the, the purpose is stronger than the object. So a lot of people say, I want to have that nice for fancy sure. car. Sure. I want to live in that nice penthouse, that beach home. The thing is, no. What are the experiences yeah. that you want to yeah. create yeah. with your family, your children, mm-hmm. entertaining people, yeah. maybe having different events? Yeah. And from that, now your your purpose is stronger sure. than the object. For sure. And then I write I, I write down those experiences mm-hmm. by having that goal, mm-hmm. by having that object. Yeah. That okay? that basically helps you associate the emotion to it because Absolutely. otherwise, you say, "Hey, I want to have a lot of money, or I want to have this nice house," but you're getting more specific about what that will give you, the experiences you'll be able to have from it. And when you get, I guess, clarity on that, and it gives you that fuel, that motivation to be able to move forward and attract that. Because a lot of people say, well, you know, I want to earn a lot of money and I want to buy all these objects. But there's no there's no connection to that. Yeah. Where you yeah. say I want to have, I want to I want to earn all this money sure. to buy all these objects and have these experiences yeah. or learn these lessons or yeah. become and then also is who do you need to become for sure to achieve that? Yeah. As yeah. in terms of your character, yeah. right? Because success is not something we go out in the world to pursue. Mm. Success is something we attract into our life by the person that we become. Mm. So who do I need to become in terms of character, skill set, mm. focus, self discipline, mm. daily habits? Because my life, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I, I have a, a set routine. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I control my mornings mm-hmm. and I control my evenings. Mm-hmm. And sometimes throughout the day is organized chaos. For sure. Right? Yeah. But as long as I can control my first... So yes. what I always say to myself, if I was a fly on the wall, yeah. how would I observe the first three hours of my day? Yeah. Because the first three hours of the day set up my structure, my foundation for the rest of the day. Yeah. I love that. And I, I think the, the importance is when, you, when you, you're creating that vision, the long term, yes. and that gets you inspired. That gets you yes. really excited for something greater that you can have. But when you break it down mm-hmm. to smaller bite-sized chunks, because a lot of people might say, well, that's just so unrealistic for them. It's just they can't wrap their head around that quite yet based on where they're at. But when you break it down and you just realize, what can I do today or this year that's going to move me in that direction? And I, I remember when I met Darren maybe about 10 years ago or so, and I, I had the big dreams and everything. Mm-hmm. And one exercise that you shared with me was really defining your ideal, your perfect day, and then br- breaking that down. And I realized, you know, I was broke and struggling at that point in my life, but I remember part of my, my ideal vision was to live in California. Mm-hmm. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go to California for three months, <laughs> went to San Diego, I was just living in hostels. I remember that. And yes. I remember I would just... You know, one thing I learned from you, I know you're a big fan of, is just dream building. Mm-hmm. So I'd actually, you know, go and look at the houses and the neighborhoods and things like that. And it's amazing how that vision over those last 10 years, how, you know, just by making small progress, mm-hmm. you, you just get further closer towards that. And it's amazing what you can achieve. Anything's possible. Yeah, you know, if you have that vision, just break it down into small bite-sized chunks. Absolutely. Well, I'll give you an example. Back in 2007, I set a 10-year plan. Okay, so I made my 10-year plan, mm-hmm. and I had a 10-year goal. I put 10 plus was to actually uh, live on a private island. Yeah. I set this back in 2007. Yeah. Yeah. 
And now we just signed the paperwork a few months ago for a private island down in the Bahamas. Yeah. And it, and it achieved it within 10 years. It was a 10-year yeah. goal. And on the 10th year, the final year, it came to fruition yeah. through meeting people on LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay? I had no idea. But, it, but over the course of those few years, it prepared me to start having the conversations, start surrounding myself with different people, ranging finances and structure and all that kind of stuff over that period of time to put things in place to make things happen. Mm. And it was really interesting over the last few months as I reflected, I thought, wow, you know, back in 2007, I set that 10-year goal. I remember yeah, putting yeah. 10 plus years because yeah. I thought, well, man, in my lifetime, I could never achieve that, yeah, yeah. right? Because to me, it was 10 plus years and it happened within 10 years. It's amazing. And I think, you know, one thing is having that belief mm-hmm. for that too. It's almost like an inevitable thing that Absolutely. that's going to happen. I remember actually when I first met you, I met Darren because I was hosting an event mm-hmm. here in Vancouver. I had about 100 people at a seminar. And I had this idea I wanted to invite these inspirational speakers. And I didn't know anyone. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, someone told me about you. And I cold called you, asked you to come speak at the event. You came and spoke. You're one of the most inspirational people there. And that's kind of how we started the friendship. But I remember um, there's one thing you said to me. We were at a restaurant afterwards at a white spot. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of said very casually, you're going to become a millionaire by the time you're 30. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, 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 wow, that actually really meant a lot to me because you saw a potential in me and you gave me a lot of belief. And I was like, wow, you know what? I will. And I made that my goal in which I achieved. But I find that that, that belief, do you think that you get that from a lot of the self-development and the books that you're reading and just kind of reading biographies, other people's success stories? Or what gives you that belief, that confidence to know, especially when you're living in the treehouse and pleasure. you're you know, rock bottom, what allows you to have that belief that 10 years from now your life can totally transform? So I was in a Toastmasters meeting one day in Vernon, British Columbia, fighting for my life. Very low self-esteem, tremendous amount of negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. I had tremendous amount of fear. Um, I felt invisible when I walked around. And I was, I was thinking I was around my third or fourth speech in Toastmasters. Learning, and I joined Toastmasters to build my self-confidence. Yeah. That was the main reason why. It wasn't public speaking. Yeah. It was just to build my confidence and my fear and anxiety in front of other people. Because yeah. I, I, I had huge fear and anxiety being around people. Because I grew up in an environment in my school where I was always made fun of. I was always judged. I was always put down. I was always labeled the stupid kid, the, you know, the, the throwaway kid. So I had all these you know, beliefs going on in my head. And Sue Urquhart one day, she said, she was the general evaluator of this Toastmasters and she said at the end, she says, I want to diverse a minute and I want to focus on Darren Jackman who's in our group today. And I thought, oh man, don't put the spotlight on me. You know what I mean? I felt just like crawling underneath the table. Yeah. And she goes, I want to focus on Darren Jackman. I said, no, don't, don't, don't pick me out, please. You know, you focus on somebody else. And she says, I believe that this club has a potential to nurture and develop Darren Jacklin into a world-class speaker. Wow. And at that moment, she believed more in me than I believed in myself. Because mm. I didn't see my potential. Yeah. Yeah. She saw it as yeah. a complete stranger to me. Yeah. And I remember that day like it was yesterday for me. It was in January of 1995. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting was I knew that down the road in my life, if I could get my life straightened out mm. and get a structure and get a foundation and learn to work with my self-talk and my belief systems and my self-worth and my confidence... And because I actually got throughout my life, I've actually, the majority of my life has been to prove something Yeah. because I was always never good enough. Yeah. Yeah. So my drive has always been to prove mm. that I was actually good enough. Mm. So all my accomplishments and success today have actually been to prove myself mm. to myself and to society. Mm-hmm. And I knew that down the road that if I was to turn my life around, that I would pay it forward and pass it on and like yourself and other people, because I understand what it's like to grow up with no self-esteem 
very low self-worth, go into a room where you're told you're stupid all the time, you'll never amount to much, you're not going to grow far, you know, go to school basically on the short bus to school, right? Mm-hmm. Live in a special needs education class for 12 years of my life and be told I'd never amount to much, never go far. Mm-hmm. And then today where I've achieved a lot of success in my life, but the thing was that, that I didn't have the mentors. And the like today, yeah. we have the internet yeah. and we have coaches and mentors and yeah. all these courses and workshops. When I started, I didn't have anything. Yeah. I had myself in a room. Yeah. I was flat broke financially, yeah. and I knew the landlord was coming in four days, and I had to find the rent, or I had to find a place to hide. Yeah. And that, that, that was the motivation. You know, oh, there was times where I couldn't awesome. pay my rent. It was a must for you. Yeah, yeah, you had to. I know. There was times where the landlord would come into my house because I was three months behind, mm-hmm. and my landlord would walk around my place, and I was hiding in the closet. There was one time I reached the sink. I don't even know how I fit in there, but I actually put my body in underneath the sink, yeah. and I remember sitting there thinking, okay, I got myself in here. How the heck am I going to get myself out? And I thought to myself, I'm not going to be able to get out. Like, I was so crowded in there. And I was just holding it. He doesn't, for some reason, he didn't open the sink doors. But I was underneath where he put the toilet paper and the toilet and stuff. I was hidden in that little room, that little closet. Thinking to myself, if my landlord finds me, he's going to throw me out. Mm. And I just, one day I made a decision. I said, you know what? I'm not going to live my life this way anymore. Mm. i got to be responsible. Mm. I gotta, and, and, the, and the defining moment for me, Stefan, was I realized at that moment, that one day where the landlord came in to get me, mm. was that nobody was coming to rescue me. Mm. I had to rescue me. Because I always had this thing that, that, you know what, my family will come rescue me or society will come rescue me or somebody, I'll win the lottery or some neighbor will come rescue me. And I realized that nobody's going to come rescue me. And it was a defining moment in my life that I had to rescue myself. I had to take care. You know, I went, I went several years not paying my income tax because mm-hmm. I thought maybe a natural. Now today everything's in good standing. But I got around these people that were anti-government and anti-this and anti-that. And I thought, well, I'll just get around them and play the victim, right? Yeah, I didn't realize yeah. I was playing the victim. Yeah. And how disempowered I was in that environment, yeah. right? And how, how much I was contracting rather than expanding. Yeah. I remember one day I was in a restaurant one time with a gentleman from a Rotary Club. And I was reading through the menu and he says, are you going to order something? And I said, yeah. He goes, um, can I suggest something to you? I said, yeah. He goes, just pick something on the menu. And I said, well, I want a moment. He goes, close your menu. I said, what? He says, let me teach you something, young fella. He said, you are reading the menu from right to left. And I said, yeah. And he goes, you're looking at the prices first to see how much money you got in your pocket before you decide what you want to eat. And I said, yeah. How do you know? He goes, I used to live that way. He goes, I want you to learn how to walk into a restaurant and never look at the price, just decide on a choice of what you want. Mm. If they don't have it, make a request to see if they can make it in the kitchen for yeah. you. Yeah. And I remember one time when I first started raising capital, and uh, I went and met with this very wealthy man one day, and he says, how are you doing raising capital? I said, I'm doing really good. He goes, now, how are you really doing? I said, I'm struggling. He goes, you know why you're struggling? Because you're going to environments where people have no money. Mm. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, where did you stay last night? I said, I stayed at the Holiday Inn. He goes, why? And I said, well, my family stayed at the Holiday Inn. He goes, no, because they have free continental breakfast the next morning. Because you didn't have enough money to pay for breakfast. Right. He goes, guess what? People at that hotel don't have money to write you a check to start up your business. Mm. He goes, you need to start going to environments, yeah. even if you can't afford yeah. it. Get in yeah. that environment in proximity where people have got your money. You need to go to restaurants where people have got the money. You need to go even to hotel lobbies where there's money in that hotel. So you bump into somebody in the elevator or in the restroom or in the lobby lounge that's got money that likes your idea, that understands it, and they can write a check for you, or at least yeah. be a mentor and advisor. Right. And it's like, wow, I never, no one it's ever amazing. taught me that stuff about raising capital. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought you go out there and talk to everybody and join all these meetup groups and go to all these trade shows and conferences and mm-hmm. find so many money. Mm-hmm. He goes, no, you're going to the wrong places. Mm-hmm. You've got you to be very strategic because you've got to become somebody. Yeah. And then one day, I remember when I was pitching this guy one day, and he goes, hold on a second. He goes, stop. 
He goes, you need to learn something. I said, what? And he goes, you need to realize that I'm a successful business person and successful people do not like being sold. Mm. We like to be educated and informed. Mm. And at that moment, I realized, wow, I was coming out of desperation, right? right? And out of scarcity and lack versus abundance and prosperity. Mm. And so now when I meet people, I don't, I don't sell them. I don't pitch them. I educate them and inform them mm. and let them make a decision mm-hmm. out of choice, mm-hmm. right? And that's the whole thing is that I remember one day I was with a gentleman and, and he said to me, he says, you know, can I tell you something? I said, yeah. And he goes, you can become a very successful corporate trainer and professional speaker, but there's one thing you need to learn. He says, what? He says, I work in the medical industry. And he said, if, and if you write this down, he said, prescription before diagnosis is called malpractice. And he says, write down, you sat down with me and you were prescribing to me what I need in my company before you even asked me any questions. Mm. And he goes, so many people in society, they prescribe before they diagnose. They go to a network and go, oh my gosh, Kevin, you'd be so great at this, this opportunity. opportunity. You should get involved with this thing. You don't know anything about me. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. says, you need to listen and ask questions yeah. before you prescribe and before you diagnose. Mm-hmm. And he said, just listen and ask questions and then maybe submit a proposal. Maybe have them do due diligence. Mm-hmm. And so these are, these are powerful things I've learned in my life. Yeah. Prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, I think one thing I've observed from people that are very successful is, um, you know, you, you know, you, yourself, myself, we all hit rock bottom. Absolutely. You got to that point yeah. or you hit that threshold. Yeah. And that I think in that moment, you're willing to do whatever it took. Mm-hmm. You know, if you didn't find the way, you're going to make the way. You're going to, you know, show up. You're yeah. going to find the mentors. You're going to invest in the seminars, the courses, or whatever it took. And I find a lot of people that I come across, they, they're not fully committed they're like not there yet and they often will say oh i can't do this because of this i don't have the time i don't have the money i can't afford this and sure enough their life's just going to stay the same because they're not really willing to do whatever it takes they haven't hit that point yet where they've just decided you know what i'm going to find the way and you've been resourceful enough to find the way to come up with the money to meet that person to you know whatever it takes to be able to get there can you talk a little bit about that what what makes that difference in someone who's just so committed and resourceful that all those excuses just go out the window. I remember one day I was homeless. I was up and down twice in my life. One time I was on welfare, one time I was living in a treehouse. And I remember one day I was flat broke and I, and I couldn't go to the food bank or I couldn't go to the soup kitchen to get food. And so I'm walking around the back alleys thinking, I'm gonna eat out of a garbage dumpster for my next meal. And I saw this Greek restaurant. It was a fine dining Greek restaurant. And I saw the, the, the cook was outside smoking. I went up and I started talking to him. And I didn't look like a street person. That's one thing I didn't do. I, I disguised myself as I had to look. Yeah. It was, I had this image, this ego, but looking good. And I didn't want to look bad. So I had to always look good. Right? Because then people thought I was just calm, cool, and collective. Right? It's like the guys that walk around with the fake jewelry and all that stuff. They yeah. got to look good. Right? But they're, they're, they got nothing going on for themselves. Right? It's just they're financially strapped. Yeah. And the guy told me, I said, listen, I need to eat out of this garbage dumpster. But I don't want to eat people's food off their plate. And he goes, well, if you go to the, he goes, what I'll do is I'll put the, the food that we have excess food that we're just throwing out. It's still good food. We'll put it in this side of the dumpster for you and you can eat it. So I used to eat out of the garbage dumpster, but you see, I created a joint venture yeah. with, the, with the cook, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then the thing was from there, what it was is I learned that when I was flat broke, see, we don't have money problems in life. We have thinking problems. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing is, is who, number one is what problem can I solve? Mm-hmm. And how can I be a go-giver versus a go-getter? Mm-hmm. See, I used to be a go-getter. Yeah. So when I, would, when I would be out there hustling and grinding with grit, what happened was I would repel people. 
because I was too intense, mm-hmm. because I was prescribed before I was diagnosing, because I was trying to sell them and pitch them versus educate them and inform them, because I was coming out more of a desperation mm-hmm. and scarcity and lack, right? So I realized one day after lots and lots of failures and adversities and challenges by making mistakes and knocking on doors and cold calling and doing those different types of jobs for commission sales jobs, was that, you know, if I just, if I just calm down and I relax when I'm with the person and I listen, I ask questions, I get to know more about the person, Remember F-O-R-M, Family, Occupation, Recreation, Money, or Motivation. F-O-R-M is an acronym. Mm-hmm. Get to know about people's family, their occupation, or career, or business, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. schooling. Recreation, what they do for hobbies, or interests, or sports. And what do they do for fun, money, or motivation. And I would start to do these different things with people when I would meet people, right? But I was still terrified, always terrified, right? I'm, I'm closing a, a billion-dollar deal right now, and, and I'm way out of my comfort zone. I'm scared all the time because... You know, you make a mistake at this level that we're playing with right now, and it's a costly mistake. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not easy. And the thing is, is that I realized that every day when I got up, I had to read 10 pages a day of a good book to elevate my life. Because mm-hmm. I knew if I read, read 10 pages a day times 365 days in a year, that's 3,650 pages, which comes to 12 to 15 books a year cover to cover. Mm-hmm. And I realized there's so much negativity out there every day that I've got to, I've got to focus on what's going on every day in my mindset. Mm-hmm. Through a gratitude exercise every day, through meditation every day, mm-hmm. through what I call my DMO, my daily method of operation. Mm-hmm. But I have to work on myself. Yeah. And the more I work on myself, the more people want to connect and communicate and For do sure. business with me. Yeah. And I know you're a big fan of morning rituals, as, as, a, as am I. Absolutely. Um, what is your ritual? You mind sharing with people a few things that For you sure. do first thing in the morning Absolutely. to help prepare yourself to be the best you can be that day? Yeah. And these are non-negotiables. Yeah. So these are non-negotiables. They do every day, no matter where I'm in the world, yeah. no matter if I'm jet late, yeah. I come way. in late. Yeah, it's it's you know I, it's like right up there with, with breathing. Yeah, why why is it that important for you? Because I know I've got a lot of people. I've got a course on morning rituals, and I know some people that aren't not consistent with it. Why is that non-negotiable for because you? Because it, it, I notice when it, it, it will throw you off your game. Yeah, it will. Th- you know, I mean, it, it, it's like it's like being constipated. It's like not brushing your teeth. Yeah. Okay. It, it, and it's that's just what I do. Is first thing I do when I wake up in the morning. And I'm an early riser. I like to get up around four thirty, five a.m. in the morning. Uh, and I like to get up really early because it's quiet mm-hmm. that time of the day. No distractions. Absolutely. First thing I do is I wake up, and, and what I do is I look around the room I'm in, and I will pick a spot on the wall, and I'll just focus to present myself to ground myself. And it may be 15, 30, 45 minutes. I'll just focus on that thing, and I'll just focus on one spot on the wall mm-hmm. so that my mind chatter doesn't kick in. And, I just, and, I, and all I do is I just, okay, there. I'm present. Mm. I'm grounded. It's like a meditation. You betcha. Okay. And now I feel present in my body. Yeah. And I know. And I know when I'm there. Yeah. Because I'll look and I'm like, no, I want to look over here. I'm over here. Yeah. Go, you, know, you find otherwise, you'll just kind of your mind will race. What we yeah. got to do that day, or stresses, or anxiety, Absolutely. or email, or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. So I'll present myself, ground myself. Say, okay, great. No, I'm not there yet. No, I'm there. And then sometimes I have to have me look at a different spot on the wall mm. or on the floor mm-hmm. or on the ceiling. Okay. Now I'm there, and I'll sit there and I'll say, okay, I'm grounded. And the first thing is I do is I say, thank you so much for like my feet, for everything you do, all my feet, everything you do every day, all the yeah. abuse you take. Thank you for my fingers. Thank you for my eyes. I look at all my vital organs yeah. to give thanks. So I'm, because my biggest thing is my health in my life, yeah. right, yeah. next to time. And so I, I just give thanks to things around my body. And it weird, if when you first start doing this, it feels really weird, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It feels really awkward. And, and the thing is, I'm, I just start giving thanks to everything about my body and how yeah. I'm grateful. Because I fractured my ribs a few years back. And I never realized that when you have fractured ribs, you're laying in the bed, you even cough, even move the wrong way, and that sharp pain, I thought, wow, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I am so grateful for my ribs. Mm-hmm. And so I do, I do the gratitude exercise first thing. And I just give thanks to things about my life. Um, Tony Robbins, I know, does a thing called priming. Mm-hmm. And then what I do is when I get up, I actually will have a cold shower every morning. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. And it takes a bit to adjust to it, yeah. but I have a freezing cold shower. Yeah. And I can go in for about two to three minutes now. Yeah. But the first time was like five seconds, if that. Yeah. And now I've gradually built up over, the, over quite a while. And I have a freezing cold shower. I also have, uh, in my shower, I have, uh, I had to bring with me today, but I have laminated what I call my, my top 10 personal promises to myself. Mm. And I actually, would, so um, a lot of times people call them goals or dreams or targets. I was mentored by one of the wealthiest men on the Forest Wonder List a few years ago. He just passed away, but he mentored me. And I used to meet with him. He used to call and text message him. And he was a multi-billionaire. And, and I was like a son to him. And I just wanted to learn from him and, and be mentored by him. And, and he said, Darren, don't call them personal goals. Call them personal promises to yourself. Because mm. you call your goals a personal promise, you're making a declaration of commitment to you that it's, mm. it's, it's your, you only. The goal's not out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's your personal promise to yeah. you. Yeah. And so I read them every day to myself. Every morning in the shower, they're laminated, and I read them. I also have 120 affirmations yeah. that are laminated that I actually read every morning yeah. to put myself into a mental mindset focused state. I have 120 affirmations. Mm-hmm. Then when I get out of the shower, I clean myself off of that. Then what I do is I, I have a journal and I write out my personal promises. So I've read them in the shower, but now I, I kinesthetically, I write them out, my top 10 same personal promises to myself. Yeah. Then what I do is I have, um, throughout my day because I'm not here, I have daily productivity tracking sheets. So I look at what are my top 10 highest priority activities that I'm going to work on today or I'm going to delegate. Mm-hmm. So throughout the day, no matter what happens, what are my top 10 activities today? And it could be, it could be going to work out in a gym. It could be you know, connecting with Tatiana, my girlfriend. It could be you know, important phone calls. It could be preparation time. It could be talking to a certain person, you know, things like that, watching a video, reading a book. Top 10 highest priorities for the day. Now, I may not get all my top 10 priorities done, mm-hmm. but I'm making progress mm-hmm. forward towards that. Yeah. Okay? And then what I do is I actually read every morning uh, 10 pages a day minimum, which I do. If I'm driving somewhere or I'm on an airplane, I have audible.com, mm-hmm. and I actually listen to educational training development programs mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, because research shows in North America that the average person over 19 years of age, if they drive uh, in a vehicle or they're on public transit, they'll spend an average of 500 hours per calendar year in commute time or drive time, which is equivalent to a college university semester of education. Yeah, yeah. So you can learn a second or third language. You can learn yeah, about finances, sure. relationships, how to create a business. Everything we need today is yeah. available yeah. With, tech, yeah. with information. Yeah. Okay? I listen to a lot of podcasts yeah. of influential field. And one of the things I do in terms of my own training development is I don't go wide. See, most people, what they do is they, they start studying all these different people. Mm-hmm. I go very, I go like this, and I have two or three or four people in a year that I study, and I go deep. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mastery, yeah. So I go, like, so just a few days ago, I was given a book as a gift uh, from, the, from Andrew Carnegie. It was, the book was written in, in, in uh, the late 1800s, and it was only given to some of his inner circle. And the book was bought at an auction. This guy paid a lot of money for this book. And he gave it to me as a gift because I'm one of his mentors. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Andrew Carnegie signed the book in 1904. Wow. And it's a collector's book. Yeah. And so I'm going to read through that book now from Andrew Carnegie, who, yeah. you know, as you guys know, in his time between 1901 and 1918, he gave away equivalent to today's dollars with 77 billion U.S. dollars wow. in our money today yeah. between 1901 and 1918. Mm-hmm. So I do that. And then what I do is I do my morning questions. So what am I most grateful for in my life today? Who do I love? Who loves me? 
What do I appreciate and value? Uh, and then I think about something in my life of somebody that maybe has come into my life recently on social media or a family member or a friend or it could be a coworker or someone that works with me who's maybe struggling right now. And it could be a prayer I say about them or I just send them love and gratitude and blessings that, that this person has find strength or they find guidance or they find hope or that they find healing in whatever they're going through. So, you know, because we all know people that have got some kind of disease or a relationship challenge or a job transition or they're struggling financially or, you know, loss of a, a parent or somebody's died in their life. So I just send them positive energy and I feel grateful for that in terms of gratitude. Mm. And then I go about my day and, and, and my day consists now is that I, um, what I do is I focus on, because I'm an entrepreneur, what are revenue generating or what are income producing activities? So I look at, okay, what are the things in my career or industries or the business I have that are income producing or revenue generating and what are not income producing or not revenue generating that are more like minimum wage activities? Mm-hmm. And then what I do is I write them down on papers and then I, I start to find it. Now, when I first started, I couldn't financially afford anybody to do this. Yeah. So what I went is I went to my local colleges and universities. I went there in person, went and talked to the receptionist. I said, listen, do you have a business department here at this university or community college? And they go, like, yeah, who do I need to speak to? the professor, the teacher, the instructor, where can I go meet this person? So I go down and introduce myself, completely stranger to me. I say, hi, my name is Darren Jacklin. And, you know, again, I've got this little startup company. You know, I'm not doing much, right? To me, it's a big deal. But to somebody else, it's, you know, I started my kitchen table. And I said, I'm looking to have somebody come in as an apprentice who's one of your MBA students or business administration students that would come to me. I can't, I don't pay them, but they can actually come to me as like a volunteer, as an apprentice, as a work experience program, and I'll put them through a semester of training development in exchange for their labor. Yeah. And I would have them do all the things that are not income producing, not revenue generating. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then they would do these tasks for me. And, and then they would start doing that so I could focus on the higher part of the activities that are income producing or revenue generating. Mm-hmm. And I still to this day bring people on. We have apprentices and, and mentees and we bring them on. And at the end of the semester or end of their work experience, then we do up a one-page letter mm-hmm. as an, you know, for them, for their professor, instructor, teacher. And then also on their resume, we do that. And then sometimes if we can, we'll hire the person on. Mm-hmm. And then I found out recently in the last couple of years, you can actually get grants. depends on where you live from the governments. Sometimes the governments have grants to actually hire these people to create employment opportunities. Mm-hmm. So you can actually get grant money. depends on where you live. You have to research that. But you can get grant, grant funding mm-hmm. to hire these people. Mm-hmm. As university or college students. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I just love how resourceful you yes. are and how, how truly committed because most people, they don't think outside the box yeah. like that. They're not so committed that they're creative. They're just going to do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. So I love that. One thing I want to ask you about, I think one of your greatest skills is networking yes. and building relationships. And I know you've, you're friends with billionaires, celebrities, investors, all, all different types of people. Do you mind sharing with people a little bit about your mindset and process when it For comes sure. to meeting and networking with just really inspirational or amazing human beings? Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody is a human being. We all put our pants on the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I used to do when I first started off networking is I used to see somebody who's very successful as a man or woman, and I would put them on the pedestal, and I'd bend my, myself and put myself in the pit. Uh-huh. So they were on the pedestal. I was in the pit, and I would push myself down. And then what I realized that when I would walk into a room, I'd either attract people to me or repel people away from me. Mm-hmm. And so I had to become very mindful of my attracting or repelling people. After I leave, am I memorable or am I forgettable with people? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times if you're in a networking event or a trade show or a seminar or a workshop 
or at a church service and you, there's a few hundred people there or a few thousand people there, you know, you may meet with a few different people, but then you leave, okay, what was that person's name? Where are they from? What did they do? Mm-hmm. Or you walk home with a whole bunch of yeah. business cards. So what I do now is when I go places, first thing I do now is that when I walk into a room is who's the most influential person in the room? Okay, so when I go to conferences or conventions, sometimes there's hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of people. I only have to meet maybe a handful of people. Sometimes I go to an event, I actually don't even meet the people in the audience. I meet the people that are on the panel or the speaker's panel. Okay, but what I do is I go around, first thing as I do is I authentically will acknowledge somebody and pay them a compliment. If I see somebody, uh, it could be like, like a Sir Richard Branson, for example, or I see somebody who's a celebrity or a sports star or movie star, and I've done a little bit of background information on them. If they've done anything with philanthropy or humanitarian or nonprofit groups or children's hospitals or with the environment or with animals or with people, what I do is I walk up to them and I acknowledge them and thank them for their generosity and their contribution towards some certain cause mm. or an event that they're involved yeah. with, their foundation or legacy. And what that does is all of a sudden they, they appreciate that because I'm yeah. giving them energy. Yeah. Right? I'm acknowledging and validating yeah. them for who they are. Because, see, most people don't realize that. And, and I know this from training over a million people and being around a lot of very influential people. The majority of people that are entrepreneurs and business leaders today, they actually got into business to prove something. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. Because they weren't good enough, weren't smart enough. So I told them they'll never amount to much. Your idea is crazy. You're starting your garage. You're starting your basement. You'll never work. You should keep your safe, secure job. You should have stayed in school, not quit university or college. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a crazy idea. Nobody will invest it. Nobody will ever believe it. So these different men and women have something to prove. Mm-hmm. Right? Because we're all just trying to get through life. And so when I look at it, and if you look at society today, a lot of media and a lot of marketing today sells people on their insecurities. Mm-hmm. You just look at in a 24-hour time frame yeah. on the internet today and off the internet today, how many television commercials, how many marketing commercials are, are in, you're inundated every day trying to sell you on your insecurities that you don't look pretty enough. Yeah. You're not tall enough. You're not, you're not smart enough. You're not skinny enough. All these things. You're not driving a nice car. You're not in a nice neighborhood. So I just acknowledge and recognize people. Then what I do is I play the contribution game. Mm-hmm. And what the contribution game is is I always ask people, so I'd say, Stefan, I said, you know, pleasure to meet you. Can I ask you a personal question? And I always ask this. Mm-hmm. Would it be okay if I ask you a personal question? And people are like, well, what's he going to ask? Yeah, yeah. Right? And I'm like, what would be the best way for me to contribute to your life? Yeah. What are you working on? What do you need right now? What problem do you need to solve? What is the best? I know we just met, but what's the best way for me to contribute to your life? What do you need? What are you working on right now? Yeah. And I've had some people who are extremely successful in business and in life saying, Oh, Darren, I don't need anything. I got a whole office full of people. I said, well, do you have any children? Do you have, are you entertaining anybody? Do you need a recipe? Do you need a children's book? Do you need to watch a movie for a date? Do you need a restaurant to take your wife someplace? Yeah. Do you need some advice on, uh, you know, on, on some of this? And, I, and, and I'll say, sometimes I'll say, listen, are you good at public speaking? Oh, and no, I'm terrified of public speaking. In fact, I have to go speak to the board of directors here at the end of the month for our annual general meeting. Well, would you like to run it by me? In yeah. strict confidentiality, I'll, yeah. I'll give you some advice. I've trained a lot of people. I'll give you some advice. The guy's like, okay, what do you mean? Yeah. And now all of a sudden I'm dealing with this insecurity or his For fear sure. or her sure. fear. They're like, yeah. And I've met so many of these people by just being a go-giver, not a go-getter. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. The number one qu- response when I ask people, what's the best way for me to contribute to your life and add value, be in service? The number one response is, I don't know. Because mm-hmm. most people have never been asked that question. Yeah. So I'm actually establishes rapport and a different level of relationship, Mm -hmm. okay? And I've had sometimes where I've been at events, conferences, where the person's like, you know what? I'm actually really good right now, so let me ask you a question. How are you getting back to the airport? 
yeah. well, I'm taking Uber or taking a cab or a limo or, you know, I haven't even thought that yet. Yeah. My assistant, I'll tell you what, I've got a vehicle, why don't I give you a ride? I actually met, uh, I've, I've actually met two billionaires and I've actually met a couple A-list celebrities. Um, one, I won't mention his name, the A-list celebrity, but there's a guy who's very well known, most people would know him watching this. And this guy was flying in to speak at this charity because he, he's an activist towards this charity. So I phoned his publicist and I figured she'd be flying with him from Los Angeles to where he was going. And I said, how is he flying? He was flying commercial, which I was surprised, first class. Yeah. But he was flying commercial, his own cabin. And when he got there, he, I guess without his assistance and his handlers, he's kind of a, he's kind of a loose cannon. He's all over the place. Mm-hmm. He, he needs somebody to just volunteer. I always say you're either volunteering or voluntold. He needs to be voluntold. And she goes, well, he's actually flying there because he wants to visit one of his relatives, but um, nobody's looking after him. So I said, well, I'll look after him. So this guy arrives, you know, A-list celebrity. You know, he's in the media all the time. Yeah. I pick the guy up. I don't even, you know, I know who the guy is to see him on TV and in the magazines and all that stuff, yeah. but I don't know anything about the guy. So I do a little bit of background on the guy. I take him around and all that stuff in, in my vehicle. Hung out with him. And to this day, we still communicate and, wow. and text back and forth. Because I'm just, I grew up in a small, remember, I grew up in a small town of 17,000 people where, you know, you just treat people as people, as human yeah, beings. Yeah. And he's just a guy. He, yeah. he paid a price to get to that level of success. Yeah. And there's benefits and there's drawbacks. There's the upside and the downside to it. Yeah. And I just wanted to. I say, hey, you want to go hang out? So we went into this restaurant, and all these people recognize him. We're just hanging out there, and the waitresses are just hovering around him and stuff. That is a good-looking guy. And I just hung out with him. And the funny thing was, I didn't talk anything about his career, mm-hmm. nothing about his celebrity mm-hmm. status, who he was, nothing. I talked about you know where he grew up, what kind of hobbies he does, you know what kind of class clown he was in school growing up. You know, what things was he good at? What was it like to go on his first date with a girlfriend? And he told me about how insecure he was as a kid growing up and how he was so shy with girls and stuff like that. And, and we had a great time and laughed. And he's like, man, you know. And it was so funny. So my first day, he's like, well, I don't really have much time to hang out with you. I only got a short amount of time. We didn't hang out for about three and a half, four hours. Yeah. And then, you know, what's interesting thing is, when we were done, I paid the bill. Mm. I paid the bill. And when the bill came, I grabbed, the, I grabbed the bill and he looks at me and he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm paying the bill. He goes, oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he was sort of off. And, and, and yeah. like, what? And afterwards, he goes, I, I never have, he goes, I have people, sometimes 20, 30 people will meet with me, and they just expect that I'm paying the bill. He goes, I take people on vacation sometimes, we go to nice resorts, and they just expect, oh, we're with him, he's mm-hmm. paying the bar tab, he's paying the bill, because mm-hmm. he's making all this money. He's a celebrity. Of course yeah. he should pay for everything. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't that much, but he's like, you're paying the bill? Yeah. And he was blown yeah. away that I grabbed yeah. the bill to pay it. That's awesome. And, you know, you're, you're, most of those people, they have so many people coming to get something yes. from them, to try to take, to try to, you know, they want to take them for lunch or dinner to pick their brain. And, you know, it's more of a, a taking mentality yes. and that repels people. You can tell right away just that energy. Yeah. And so you're coming at it pretty much the opposite. They've never had someone just come to them wanting to serve them, help add value. And you're not doing it to get anything back. No. It's not like you have that agenda. I mean, it could lead into that friendship yeah. and that relationship, but... I love that, men- that mentality. And I also know that you're really skilled at keeping those relationships. Absolutely. You know, as I've learned from you, the fortunes and the follow-up, mm-hmm. your net worth uh, or your... Network equals your net worth. Exactly. Your network is your net, net worth. What's your process once you meet someone sure. like that and you want to build that lasting relationship? So I have in my phone, when I meet somebody, I find out just in conversation. So, you know, you're just curious, when's your birthday? Yeah. And I'll just casually bring it up with people and I'll, and I'll collect as much information. Birth date wedding anniversary, uh, important events into their life, things that they say. 
like I was on a conference call this morning with a gentleman I've always wanted to meet. Okay, and it was my first conference call this morning on a group conference call. And this guy is a very well-known investor in North America and very high profile. And he was talking about this morning how he's actually, I actually, um, the way you see him in, in television and the media, he's introverted on television. And he, today he says, you know, he says, uh, the guy, one guy on the call, he's like, yeah, he says, you know, I look forward to seeing you at this conference that your guest speaking at soon on this panel. He goes, you know, he says, I'm really quite excited. He says, my wife is coming with me. My wife doesn't get energized by being in groups. She wants to just go up to the room and just hang out and watch TV or go down to the, to the, uh, to the swimming pool. Mm-hmm. He goes, I get so energized being in audiences with people. He goes, you know, I'm really mis, um, misunderstood in the public eye and the media that I'm actually this really introvert geek nerd kind of guy. But I actually love being around real people. In fact, he said, I, I like to be one of the guys that, that just at the end, I want to just go hang out after the event and go hang out with someone, get a drink or food and collaborate with people and just hang out and, and just talk about what we learned tonight. And I think to myself... This guy just told me that he, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so this guy's going to be at a conference in a few months that I'm going to be at that I want to meet him. So I'm going to be the person that goes up yeah, and say, hey, yeah. listen, why don't we get together and get a bite to eat and hang out and just talk about what Because he told me the, the secret sauce to his life. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Yeah. So what I do is I put that into my phone. And then also what I do is when I want to meet somebody, I go onto Google, I get their photograph, I get their name, I get what city they live in, if it's on Wikipedia or on the internet, website, and I start building a profile before I even ever meet the person, mm. okay? And then when I meet the person, sometimes I'll just take out my phone, I'll say, oh, um, why don't you change contact information? I'll pull up the phone, hit edit, and I'll just have to put their <laughs> mobile number, and then the guy's gonna be like, he's got my name, he's got all this stuff about me, and he's looking. He knows my birthday, my wedding anniversary, the ages of my kids, what things I like, because I've watched the YouTube videos, yeah. I've watched the interviews, I've read the biography, autobiographies, or I've studied that person. Mm-hmm. And I want to know as much as I can about that person. Mm-hmm. Okay? Where does that person hang out? I, I even, when I go to events sometimes, I, I, and I, this is a trick that I've done, I don't tell many people this, but what I'll do is I'll actually call the hotel or the resort or the conference center, and I'll say, listen, I'm coming into this resort or this conference center on this date coming up. I just want to see if so-and-so has checked in yet. And sometimes because of hotel confidentiality or privacy, they don't announce it, mm-hmm. okay? And they're like, yeah, so-and-so's checked in, or I can't release that information, so no problem. I know you can't release that information, but listen, uh, we're attending the same event. I need you to put some notes in on the computer in the hotel that we need to check in side-by-side side with each other. Because mm. now I'm in close proximity, because yeah. proximity yeah. is power. Yeah. Okay? So you mean staying next to them in their room? You betcha. Okay. And now what I like to do is I like to find out if I can arrive early to the event, then I'm in my hotel room, I prop the door a little more so I can watch. And then what I do is I go onto YouTube and I watch interviews, so I tune myself into their voice yeah. by watching interviews so I know their voice inflections. So if they're walking down the hallway and the guy's whistling or he's on a conference call or she's talking to somebody, I get a chance. And then what I also do is I find out if I can, through public information on the internet, who that person's assistant is. Or who their handler is, or their publicist, or their their, their security team, or because when the, when when they show up with that person, oh hi Nancy, hi Jim, hi Mary, because all of a sudden, how's that person know my name? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it gives me a chance to connect. And then if the person's by themselves, going next door, I'll walk up and say, hi Stephen, good to meet you. Like you yeah. speak, hi Stephen, my name is Darren Jacklin, good to meet you. And I because we're on the same floor. And I'm like, I'll say, um, and by the way, sometimes people say, well, I don't have the money to to go on an executive floor. I find sometimes whatever I can to cash in points, get complimentary upgrades, mm-hmm. whatever I can. I've even had sometimes where I said, listen, I'm going to this event. I can't afford the penthouse through the presidential suite, but would you be willing to sponsor me? I'm willing to go to the event to bird dog and network with some people for you to make some introductions. Mm, 
That's awesome. And I'll find somebody, somebody yeah, can pay yeah. for that for me. Yeah, that's cool. Okay? Amazing. Just to get in close proximity yeah, to yeah. that person. Yeah, I love that. And then I invite them to go out for a breakfast or a lunch yeah. or a dinner. I have even sometimes will put notes underneath the person. I also, too, because we live in Vancouver here right now, what I do is there's a guy in Vancouver here that um, in each major city, there's always some really good photographer who prints like a Vancouver or Chicago or a San Francisco or Los Angeles or Toronto book, okay? Mm, yeah. And what I do is I go ahead and I get copies of those books and I take them with me. Yeah. And I'll present the person, you know what? I'd love to have you come to Vancouver sometime. Here's a gift on behalf of uh, Vancouver Yeah. and this book, Yeah. right? Now what I do, because we're building this private island in the Bahamas, way I get access, I leverage that, is I'll say, listen, you know, I'd, I'd love to meet you. I know you're really busy around a lot of people. Listen, uh, why don't I give you one of my cards? I'd love to invite you down to this private island we've got in the Bahamas. Yeah. Now, somebody says, well, yeah, but Darren, I don't have a private island. Mm -hmm. You need to find out where do people hang out that have a, yo a boat or a yacht or a helicopter or a private jet. There's places around that you can get into these different clubs or groups mm -hmm. that's got one and you can leverage it. Mm -hmm. Years ago, I went to meetup.com here in Vancouver in the summertime, and I thought, man, I want to get on these, some of these yachts. So I would go to meetup.com, and I'd go to the sailing clubs and the yacht clubs, and I'd phone up and said, do you know anybody right now in your yacht club that actually is looking for us to be able to help out, set up the sails, and, and wash and clean the yachts? Mm -hmm. And the guy's like, well, I don't know. Let me check. Let me just take down your name and number. I said, okay, would it be okay if I get your name as well? Yeah, my name is John. Okay, are you here all the time, John? Yeah, I'm here all the time, Monday to Friday. I'm here in the office. Just call and ask for John, and I work here at the yacht club. Mm -hmm. So I called back a couple days later. Hey, John, my name is Darren Jack. I'm just calling to see if you found anybody yet that has a yacht that's looking for somebody to volunteer on it. No, but we got somebody coming in this weekend. I'm going to ask him. Okay, great. Then I follow up again. Then I would go down there and I would start volunteering on these yachts. And after I got to build relationships and rapport with them, I'd say, would it be okay sometime if I invite somebody? Oh, yeah. So then I'd meet you at an event and I'd say, hey, listen, I'm going actually on a yacht this weekend with some great people. I think you'd like to, would you like to come out and be my guest? So I, I don't even own the yacht. Yeah. yeah right? I'm leveraging yeah. it. And I'd bring you out. You're an influential person. You've got a great backstory. You're, you've, you've got some accomplishments in your life. Right? So I'd bring you out, introduce you. Now, these people that are on the yacht, they're thinking, well, this Darren Jack guy is a pretty cool guy. He's got this guy. He's a best-selling author. Yeah. Stefan comes in, and I would bring them out in the yacht, and I would leverage it, and that's what we'd do. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Just thinking outside the box, being resourceful, things that most people don't do. And I think that's what makes the difference. You know, you're Absolutely. willing to do things that most people won't do, and that's what makes you stand out, makes sure. you memorable, and allows you to build those relationships. Well, here's something I learned, okay? For every question that we don't ask, the answer is no. Yep. And when we make a request, people either accept, decline, or counteroffer. And one of the things that I'm guilty of in my life is I'd always look at somebody, and something when it comes to like being around financially wealthy people or affluent people or high net worth people, I used to always think they had to look a certain way, like a Hollywood movie star. Yeah. And today I meet people, I'm thinking to myself, I would have never guessed that person's worth 30 sure, million bucks. For sure. I, would have, I would have never picked them out of a, of a group, right? And today what I realize now is that I just make a request to people and I let them choose mm. whether they want to accept, whether they want to decline, or whether they want to counteroffer my request. Mm. But I don't make the decision because I would always say, well, oh, I'm not going to ask them. They're going to just yeah, say no. Yeah. Well, how do I know? I haven't asked the question. Yeah. I've taken myself out of the game before the game has even begun. For sure. You, you don't have any limiting beliefs on these. And I think a lot of people, they have these self-imposed limiting beliefs and they just assume that, oh, I can't meet that person or, but, but you, you don't limit yourself. You know anyway, you're like not too? afraid to ask. You're not afraid Absolutely. to go for it. Because, because a lot of it is that we want to look good. Yeah. Image and ego. And we don't want to look bad. Yeah. We always want to look good. Posturing, right? And I learned years ago from a gentleman who was a mentor of mine. He's passed away now. He said, Darren, he says, you got to get over looking good in the fear of looking bad. Mm -hmm. He said, that's the most of societies. They always want to look good and they don't want to look bad. Mm -hmm. I said, what do I do? Because you need to take steps forward.
yeah. and just give up looking good. Yeah. And who, who cares if you look bad? Yeah. At least you're taking the step forward. Let me ask you this. So, so I'm sure through this process, and I know throughout your life, you've gone through failures. Absolutely. You've been through rejections. So sometimes, you know, where, you know, you get turned, turned away or whatever so it might be. So get turned away. Yeah. What, what is your mindset around failure and rejection? So the key thing is, so I, I, I've, been, I've been rejected over 100,000 times in business. And it's interesting because just recently, I uh, closed a corporate training speaking engagement with a company that I followed up for 17 years. Wow. For 17 years, I followed up with the Human Resources Department. I called them four to six times a year, every quarter, then a couple times in between throughout the year. And, it's, and the reason why they wouldn't hire me, because I had no formal academic education. Right. And in their policy procedures within their culture, you had to have a college university degree to come in as a consultant or a trainer to train their environment, mm. and especially their executive team. And I just kept on following up because I knew that, um, I guess I have the belief that, you know, they're going to close me or I'm going to close them, but somebody's getting closed. Yeah. And I'm just about building personal yeah. relationships. Yeah. I'm about adding value and I want to educate and inform them versus pitch and try and sell them. And on the, just not too long ago, I phoned them on the 17th year and they went through a few human resources people since, but they all know who I am there at this corporation. And the lady says to me, she says, you're not going to go away. Because I'd leave messages on the voicemail because after a while they just see my number on the call display. They know I'm calling. It goes to voicemail. Yeah, yeah. And I don't get a return phone call, right? And I'd send an email. It just goes to trash or they just reject the email. And finally she answered the phone one day and she says, you're not going to go away. I said, listen, I just want to be in service. I want to provide massive value. I can really support your organization. Listen. If I, I, I've studied your business model of your company and I can poke a lot of holes in your business model and I can make your boat sink. Mm. So, you know, in terms of risk mitigation, you need to have me come into your corporation because mm. I, know, I know you guys got a lot of the upside. I can show you the downside that you're not protecting right now. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, what are you talking about, right? Yeah. But as an HR manager, she wants to mitigate risk and liability. Right. So they end up right. bringing me in. That's awesome. And stuff. But the biggest thing is, is with people is that, you know, at the end of the day, and this is one thing about a lot of the millennials today and the millennial generation is they disguise and hide themselves through social media and instant messaging and, and social media ads. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we're in the people business. And what I've learned from a lot of experience is that people over the age of 40 today, we grew up with the yellow pages. Mm-hmm. We grew up with people knocking on our doors, yeah, cold calling us, waiting in line with us in our waiting rooms to see us. So we respond to that environment because that's yeah. what we grew up with. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I still use to this day the yellow pages of a telephone book. Yeah. And, and I still make cold calls to this day. I still yeah. get rejected. People yeah. say, why do you make cold calls? I don't have to by yeah. choice. Yeah. But I do it because it's like a muscle in the yeah. gym. Yeah. If I don't keep it consistent, yeah. I lose it. Yeah. And then when I go back to doing it, it's really hard. Yeah. And that's one thing I've learned in my life is that when we go do something, it's really, really hard in the beginning. Yeah. Like going to a gym. It's, you know, my, my first two years ago, I went to a gym for the first time ever in my life at 43 years of age. And the first day I fell off the treadmill because I didn't know how to use the treadmill. I scrapped it, scraped up my knees, right? And it was on January 3rd. Two days later, I went back because I had to take it out because I scraped my knees. The second day back in the gym. I've never, never been to a gym before in my entire life. Second day at the gym, I fell on the stairs and broke three ribs. Oh, my God. And today, I'm now down 61 pounds. Wow. A couple years later. Wow. But you see, I could have, the day yeah. I fell off the yeah. treadmill, I could have said, I'm embarrassed. People yeah. are going to laugh at yeah. me because I'm a, I'm a dumb kid like yeah. the kid in school. Yeah. I better leave this, never do this again. The second day I came back, I, I broke three ribs. I thought, ah, you know what? The universe is telling me something. I better not go to a gym. It's bad karma. Yeah. This isn't for me. But I said, no, I made a commitment. I bought a gym membership yeah. for a year. I'm going to stick out and do this. Yeah. And it was hard for the first four or five months. I really struggled going to a gym. Yeah. And I would have to work myself. I'd get to the parking lot and I'm like, oh, phone, phone call would come. I'm like, oh, good. I'm on the phone call. I don't have to go into the gym. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a second. I just made a commitment to myself. Yeah. 
I'm not honoring my agreement. I'm out of integrity because without integrity, nothing works. Yeah. I'm out of integrity because that's the thing is that we can let ourselves off the hook, mm-hmm. right? But when it comes to the people, we don't let ourselves off the hook. Yeah. But it's so easy for oh, it doesn't matter. But I've learned in success, it's what you do behind the scenes and nobody else is watching you. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the action steps you take today consistently compounded over a period of time because no one's going to call us out on our own self. For sure. We can hide. Yeah, yeah. So what, so what is your belief around failure? Because you're obviously not afraid to fail or to you know, not look good sure. or whatever. So what's that belief, the mindset you have around that? So fear, so failure is um, you know, a simple, you know, it's simple errors in judgment right? repeated over time or every day. It's simple errors in judgment. So failure is just feedback. Yeah. So when I fail now um, all the time, and, I, and I'm doing things all the time where I'm failing, um, I look and say, okay, what did this teach me? Yeah. What did I learn from this experience? Sure. How do I get better? Yeah. How do I grow? How do I expand myself? Um, what I've done a lot of times over the years is I would go in and I would uh, present to different companies for, like, for, someone, for corporate training, and I would get rejected, get rejected. So I'd phone up the company, a couple of centers and said, hi, my name is Darren Jacklin. I know I talked to you a couple weeks ago and you guys rejected my proposal and I really appreciate that. It's no problem. Uh, listen, I'm willing to pay you $50 to, to uh, uh, just answer a couple questions. Would you be okay to give me some feedback of why you rejected my proposal and I'll pay you for your time? Mm-hmm. I also do that with CEOs. A lot of times when I go into to work with, because I've trained now 157 Fortune 100 companies with no formal education, mm-hmm. okay? And I used to call up companies and, I would, and I'd, have, I'd save up $500 cash and put into five $100 crisp bills I get from the bank. I put it into an ATM envelope, and I call up the secretary. And I said, "Hi, my name is Darren Jackson. Uh, we've never met. I would like to meet Stefan, you know, the CEO, and I'm willing to meet with him for 45 minutes for lunch, somewhere in close proximity to your corporate office, and I'm willing to pay him $500 cash for the meeting and pay for lunch, mm-hmm. so I don't waste his time. Mm-hmm. And I think out of probably around the 300 and sometimes I've done this over the last 20 plus years, I've had seven times where somebody's actually taken the money." And the majority of the time they didn't because they just out of principle. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when I meet with the decision maker, the man or woman, it's like, you know, I had such a great time. Let me use the corporate credit card and pay for lunch. Mm-hmm. And out of the seven times, I think I maybe had one guy that just felt it wasn't a, he was an IT company, just felt that I wouldn't be a master of his culture. Mm-hmm. But the other six times, people are like, oh, thanks. Here's my 500 bucks because that was the arrangement yeah. or the agreement. We're taking the money because that's what the agreement was. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I did is I paid up front. Right? I paid it for it front. I'm saying, I value you, yeah, yeah, and I'm willing yeah. to pay you yeah, so it's that. not a waste of your time. Yeah, you're not trying to take. Because I, I know both you and I, we have so many people that, oh, hey, can I take you for lunch or can yeah. I take you for coffee? But you value your time. I value my time at a high amount of money. So you're kind of coming at it not trying to, you know, because I think that the value they're providing is just the coffee or whatever. Absolutely. But you're actually willing to respect that and, and try to sincerely look how you can add value. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's and key. I always follow up with a handwritten thank you card. Right. Always do that. Always find out the mailing address of them. Yeah. Uh, and I also, too, a great book to get is a book called The Five Love Languages by Dr. Yep. Gary Chapman. Yeah, it's a must-read book. I get the chance when I'm doing research or have somebody doing research on the person. I find out by watching videos, interviews, blogs, articles, social media presence they've got on there, what's the person's love language. In fact, I even go to an extent. I'll tell you something. Uh, when I do dinner parties, if I'm in Vancouver or whatever city I'm going to, I actually will find out who the FedEx driver is, the UPS driver, the DHL driver, and I'll actually invite that uh, courier driver to my dinner parties. Really? I always invite them because you know why? They deal with decision makers every day. They're dealing with the gatekeepers, and they know who the decision makers right. are because, because they look at the envelopes every day. And it's like going to this company, and they go in, and they see Margaret, who's the gatekeeper, and they know everything about Margaret because they yeah. talk to Margaret yeah. every yeah. day, Monday yeah. to Friday or Monday to Saturday. 
And they know. Also, too, I learn when I leave airports now, like I'll use Uber Black or I'll use a limo versus a taxi cab if I'm not renting a car mm-hmm. because the limo drivers drive a lot of influential yeah, people around. Sure. And, I, and I've had, I'll give you an example. I had a few years back, I co-authored a book and I met this guy who was a personal limo driver for Oprah Winfrey. Mm-hmm. And he drove Oprah. And he was a dedicated driver for Oprah Winfrey. And so I, I got a chance to connect with him and build a relationship with him. And I helped him out with some things in his life. And I said to him, I said, he says, how can I help you? And I said, listen, you know Oprah. He goes, I know Oprah on a first name basis. I said, but would, you, would you be willing to give Oprah a copy of my book? Yeah. And he goes, yeah, I, I can give it to her and present it to her in the car. What she does with it, I'm not responsible for it. Whether she leaves it in the car, she takes it with her. But I can present it to her. So Oprah got in the car one day and they're going to the airport and he give her a copy of my book. Yeah. And so people always say, have you ever met Oprah? Or you ever, ever? I said, Oprah got a copy of my book. Whether, well, I don't know where yeah. it is to this yeah. day. Yeah. But That's awesome. the limo driver will teach you. Like, what I always ask limo drivers, I'll say, are, do, you, do you look after a lot of successful people? Yeah. What, 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 um, what, do you, what can you tell me about them? Same thing yeah. when I go into yeah. airports. Learn I learn a lot. Sh- yeah. Oh, yeah. Shoe shining. If you yeah. want to buy nice, if you're a man or if you're a woman right now and you want to buy your man or you want to buy some really nice expensive shoes or some really nice stylish shoes, I ask the guys that shine shoes all the time. I say, can I ask you a personal question? You guys shine a lot of shoes in this airport all the time. What are the best shoes to get from your experience? Oh, that's awesome. And, and I said, can you, can you give me some examples or, or take some? And I even have some of the shoe guys. I said, listen, if I give you an extra 20 bucks, can you do me a favor? I'm going to give you my cell phone number right now. If you give me your cell phone number, would you be okay to t- uh, with permission, the next time somebody comes in with the shoes that, that you think would be really good that would match me, would you take a picture of them from that guy with permission and yeah. then text message that picture so I know what it is and just put the name of the shoe yeah. so I can check online to see what kind of shoe to get? Yeah. I love that. I love and that. so I have them do a market research yeah, for you. They're, yeah. they're telling me what, what to get. Yeah, and a lot of those people, they, they really know the behind the oh, scenes because yes. they're really you know, spending time with Oprah or whatever it might be. So they can give you a lot of insights, a lot of things that you wouldn't normally you know, be oh, able yeah. to get yourself. Concierge service at hotels, yeah, yeah. nice hotels. I get to know who the concierge are. If, if I see, uh, I was in a beautiful hotel recently and this guy was in the elevator with me and I said, are you a personal trainer? He goes, I am, but I'm a private trainer. And I knew that somebody in the hotel had hired him for a private session. Mm-hmm. I, said, I said, do you have a few minutes? He says, yeah. So we stepped out of the elevator. I said, I said do, you, do you have to go in right now? Can I buy you a juice or something like that? And he goes, yeah, I've got about 40 minutes. So he went in there, and this guy, this guy looks after the celebrity stars. Mm-hmm. And what he does is he's on, um, he's on a, uh, so guys that are in the movie industry, mm-hmm. he goes to the movie trailers and works with them. And they go to certain hotels. Mm-hmm. And here in Vancouver, they go to certain place hotels, mm-hmm. you may know. And so this guy deals with certain A-list celebrities. So I started talking about you know daily routines, what they do. This guy was so insightful of what he shared with me that 45 minutes. Mm. It was amazing. That's awesome. And so at the end of the day, we're in yeah. the people business. Yeah. And that's the key thing is to connect with people. Yeah. Give me another thing. I, um, a few years back, I, um, this is actually back over 10 years ago, I was using a fax machine. And there was this large bank over in London in the United Kingdom. And I was going back and forth by fax machine with this uh, executive who's retired. I think he's probably even dead. He was an old guy at the time. And I was going back and forth by fax machine with this guy, and I said to him, I was living in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada, and I said, listen, I'm going to fly over from Kelowna to Vancouver, Vancouver to London, England, and meet with you for an in-person meeting. And he replied back, well, I can only give you 15 minutes. We'll meet at a Starbucks right by our corporate office. So I didn't have the money. I borrowed $1,900 from a friend of mine, and I said, I'll pay you back in 30 days, which I did. And I flew from Kelowna to Vancouver, Vancouver to Toronto, or London Heathrow on Air Canada. It was a last-minute flight. I flew over there, got into a cab in London, England, went to the Starbucks coffee shop, met this guy, 
And this guy walks in. He was an old British banker. He walks in. The guy was blown away because here I flew from continent to continent, 18 hours of flying mm-hmm. for a 15-minute meeting face-to-face. Wow. And it being a 22-minute meeting. At the end, he thanked me. He said, appreciate you coming. Travel safe. And that was it. There was no discussion. There was no next steps. There was no decision make. There was nothing finalized. He said, thanks for meeting me. I got in the, I got in the uh, taxi, went back to the airport, flew back to Canada. Seven months later, my fax machine goes off in the middle of the night. He sent me a fax after careful analysis and due diligence. We want to bring you in as a corporate trainer. We've got an opportunity for you to come in and train you. Wow. And, you know, it was interesting because most people won't get in the vehicle mm. and go someplace. I had a situation the other day where a lady called me up. And she says, I'm having a dispute with this uh, vendor of mine, and we think we're going to have to get the lawyers involved. I said, where does the person live? Well, they live about 20 minutes away from my house. I said, why don't you just get in your vehicle and go? Oh, she says, well, she'll probably call the police and charge you with trespass. I said, why don't you just go over there and see if you can resolve this without bringing the lawyers and bringing all this drama? Mm-hmm. She went over there, and two and a half hours later, they resolved the thing, and now it's a peaceful resolution. Mm-hmm. See, but then they were in the people business. Yeah. Yeah, you're doing human sure. beings. I love that. I love that. So I, I want to wrap it up sure. soon. This has been so awesome. You got so much awesome gold nuggets here. Um, what's just some last maybe words of inspiration, motivation that you can share to someone watching this? Someone that's watching this that's just looking to change their life. You know, sure. they're maybe brand new to self development, or maybe they're going through a rough time. Um, you know, they want to become successful. Absolutely. What final words would you give someone? Sure. Your environment is stronger than your willpower. Your environment is strong, your willpower. And you'll relate to this, Devin. I used to hang out with four financially broke friends, and I was the fifth. As soon as I changed my four friends who were doing better than me, more disciplined, more focused, more reliable than me, my life changed. And the first thing I realized, that environment is stronger than willpower. So I started to go, and it was uncomfortable, but I started to get around people who were doing better so that I could level up and skill up my life. And so if you're struggling, whatever area of your life you're struggling right now. So when I first started in the gym two years ago, I was terrified. I was 68 pounds overweight, right? I was eating a lot of fast food. So what I did is I realized I'm hanging around with people who just eat off of fast food and they're all overweight. I was a product of my own environment. So I realized, okay, coming in the new year, I got to get around people who are going to a gym a minimum of four days a week. So I started asking, do you work out? Yeah. How often do you go to the gym? Well, I go to the gym well, every now and then. Okay. Not going to be my inner circle. And I just asked her, oh, you go to the gym five days a week. Wow, are you consistent? Yeah, all the time. And so I started to do that. So I built my little tribe of people who were consistent so that when I would go to the gym and I would struggle or want to quit or give up, when I came up, they're like, no, Darren, keep going. You're going to do okay. Because they could be an influence to me. Same thing with money. When I was around four broke friends, we were always born money off each other. And it was a vicious cycle. We never yeah, got ahead. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you ever did that. Yeah. But I always did that. As soon as I got around people who were doing better, yeah. I became more focused, more disciplined, more yeah. loved. So if I want to hang out with these guys, i got to level up or they're not going to want to have me around. Yeah. And yeah. so that changed. So the biggest thing is to, to change your life, change your environment. Yeah. I love that. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for spending the time today. How can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Sure. You can go to DarrenJacklin.com. You can check us out online, DarrenJacklin.com. All my social media connections are on there. And follow us on uh, social media on The Darren Jacklin Show. And uh, you can see what we do. And uh, yeah, just go to DarrenJacklin.com. Awesome, man. Well, thank Thank you you. so much. I appreciate it. And thank you guys for watching this video. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Make sure to check out DarrenJacklin.com. I'll have a link below. Make sure to like this video, subscribe for more videos, and leave a comment. Leave a comment with whatever stood out for you based on what Darren said. Thanks for watching. We'll see you in the next video. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining me today and listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or received any value, 
then I'd love for you to leave an honest review on iTunes and subscribe to the Project Life Mastery podcast for future episodes. And of course, to receive more content and value, make sure to find and follow me at www.projectlifemastery.com for more. Thanks again. Remember to always believe and commit your life to mastery. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.